Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I have the extreme pleasure of sitting down with Aaron Rothstein, successful artist and hyper-realistic painter. Aaron, very excited to be sitting down with you today. Been looking forward to having this conversation. Let's just jump right into it. Can you take us through your career journey leading up until this point? Yes. And thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And I think the beginning of my art journey started when I was very, very young, as early as I could hold a pencil or a paintbrush. My family has a very long artistic culture, tradition, heritage, whatever you want to call it. Um, My grandfather was an artist. My great-grandfather was an artist. My mom is an artist. Lots of different artists in my family. Um, my, my father's side of the family is a little bit less artistic, but very entrepreneurial. Um, and everyone in my family is very into pursuing your passion. Um, just the idea of pursuing your passion. So no matter what my passions would have been from a very early age, I was encouraged to, you know, explore everything I was interested in and, you know, try and do it differently and try to excel in that area. So I think that was a little bit unique in comparison to, you know, friends, of parents of my other friends who were just encouraged to sort of color with crayons and coloring books and just the sort of standard stuff. My family was like buying me professional watercolor sets when I was like, (laughs) years old um, and giving me like a fountain pen and which could essentially be a weapon, but really (laughs) trusted me to explore these artistic materials. And um, they kind of respected me. And I felt like a professional when I was like a toddler. Very cool. I think that's really what um, kicked off my career, to be honest. Um, I remember I, I made this watercolor of like a duck in a pond and I was extremely proud of it and took it to a professional framer and they had me choose matting and framing and looked at glass options. Um, and then they hung it in the house and I just felt so respected creatively and artistically at a super young age. So I would say that was at the beginning for me. And then in school, they made sure that I had every opportunity to to sort of display my artistic interests. Um, I then built an identity around my creativity in school, which I think shaped my coming of age in a huge way. As I got older, I was choosing a career path and... I always thought I'd go into sciences because my parents are both doctors, um, even though my mom is an artist on the side. Um, so I, I went into sciences and I was sort of more pursuing like science and math. Right. But then I thought, <laughs> why am I doing this? Like I, I'm not um, excited about a life built around these things. And um, I think I could still pursue my other interests if I, Um, pursue an education in art, which was very um, uncommon in my school. I think it was 
you know, parents and teachers were very encouraging of like either science or commerce. Um, sure. And especially in Montreal where I grew up, um, you know, you go to CGEP and there are certain um, programs that you apply for and science and commerce and social studies, I think it was, those were the sort of three main ones that you were encouraged to choose from. And I chose fine arts and <laughs> um, people were like, Oh, finance. Cause I, it, I would say fine arts and you know, they, they would hear finance and get all excited. And then I'd be like, no, no fine arts. And they were like, Oh, like really is everything okay? <laughs> um, I think it just wasn't, um, you know, there's still not a lot known about building a career in the arts. And it was such an uncertain thing. And everyone was like, Oh, really? You're going to waste your potential like that. Um, and I was like, yep, I'm going to waste all my potential going into the arts. <laughs> I just felt so certain that I would do something important with it. And I was very excited to prove everybody wrong. Um, and my parents were super encouraging. And I think the sort of pattern in my household, or not pattern, but the... Um, the vibes in my household were, were very much centered around following your passion and just making sure that you, um, fulfill your potential, whatever that is, and just, um, try your hardest and whatever you do, do it very, very well. Um, and don't listen to anyone who says you can't. So, um, I think my parents were just like stellar in that way. And right. no matter what we would have chosen, they were like, we a hundred percent support you as long as you throw your whole self behind it. Um, so I went into fine arts. It was an amazing program, best decision. One of the best decisions I've ever made for myself. Um, apart from, you know, finding and choosing my husband and and having my kids. I, I would say like fine arts was really the place for me. Um, it still challenged me um, in terms of like my, my passion for writing. Um, you know, I still had to take courses on the side. So I was very interested in, um, in courses around, you know, math and science a little bit which do factor in well, science, not so much, but, um, math definitely figures into building a business. That's for sure. So I, you know, it gave me a very well-rounded, um, education and yeah. got to, you know, I got to really see from my professors what an art career could look like. Um, and it really taught me, technical skill. I'd say that that first art education experience, um, was very humbling. I showed up with my portfolio pieces that I was so precious about. And I was like, Oh, here are my, you know, 10 pieces that I've chosen for my portfolio. And they just ripped them to shreds and were like, okay, well here, you know, this is flat and here you could, you know, you could have shaded this in this way. And like, have you ever explored like these materials and why are you using this paper? Um, but it was amazing because I learned the importance of a good, crit as you call it in in art history where we just kind of look at each other's work sometimes you know we would like drink wine you know in like a fancy critique and like just um 
just analyze each other's work and give suggestions. And, um, that was incredible. And then, you know, I got to the point where I was curious about starting a professional career. I was, you know, 17, 18 at that point. (laughs) They wouldn't give us wine before we could legally drink. I should say that. Um, (laughs) but you know, I was curious and I went to a prof that I really admired and, and still do. And I just asked like, what are the steps? How do I do it? Um, which are the questions that I still ask? And that's kind of the way I operate is like, I have this dream. I don't know how to get there. Um, what are the steps? Like, just tell me one, two, three, you know, um, I can do, I can do tasks, um, that will get me to the point I, I envision myself being so that it seems less daunting. Um, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And he was like, you know, I think with pricing, at least you should start, um, start low. You know, it's, it all comes down to what people will pay. It's sort of supply and demand. And at the beginning, just experiment. Don't be too precious about it. You can always go up and just see what the response is and see, you know, how people are responding to your work on an emotional level and just, just see how it goes and use it as a learning experience. Um, so I chose pricing almost arbitrarily. Um, but definitely on the low side, I guess, just thinking of what I would pay. I consulted my parents, but what they would pay. Um, and I organized my first art show at like a local coffee shop. Um, Very cool. and, uh, it was a thrilling experience. You know, I'm sure it was mostly my friends and my parents' friends, um, and my friends' parents and that kind of thing. And maybe like two people off the street, but that's okay. Um, it's really been a, a word of mouth thing. And, I really have thrived off the support of, you know, my little entourage that I've built, which just started with my family and friends, really. Um, and that's how I started doing shows. And I did shows like that for a couple years while I was in school. Um, right. And I saved up a little bit of money and I was very proud of that. And, you know, really, really focused on my studies um, because I always knew deep down that, you know, I could be my best artist self if I, you know, kept learning, kept growing. I didn't want to just, um, I didn't want to just like sell my work and get caught up in that. I wanted to like pursue art history and just, just take this time to really develop a well-rounded educational experience. Um, I studied drawing in Italy for a semester, um, I mean, it was, I, I went after Dawson to Concordia university, which was also tremendous, but more focused on, um, the meaning of the art, less focused on the technical aspects of the art making. So, okay. um, it's interesting because I think what I learned most at Concordia, um, was just, I, I think my style developed mostly there just by making art for myself and practicing a lot. Um, I learned the techniques that I now use by just like making painting after painting after painting. Um, but then at school, we would mostly, you know, talk about what the art meant and why is it important in the world and 
what's the point of making this at all? Like they were very hard on us about that, which I think is important, but still not too much emphasis on building an art career. Right. Um, after Concordia, I had to decide what to do. Um, and in a panic toward the end, I decided to pursue a master's of art history because I really, really loved school. I knew I was good at school. Um, and I was scared just to be honest, scared to, um, just like be out there in the art world. I felt like my educational journey wasn't done and I loved writing. And I thought, you know, this is an area of the arts that I haven't like fully, fully pursued and it could be interesting and I could always paint on the side. So I went to Western University and I, um, I pursued a master's of art history. And during that time I would paint in my bedroom. I had an easel and I would come home and paint and, um, try and get my artwork into galleries, like in any spare time that I had. Um, I learned then that art on the side was not fulfilling for me. Um, I thought it could be, I thought, Oh, like I can always paint. I could take this anywhere. Um, I could always do it on the side of whatever I pursue as a career, but it just wasn't fulfilling enough. Um, and I was so enjoying the process of approaching galleries, um, which I would just, I would just, um, find email addresses and write people cold, basically. Um, I found that a really fun experience. And actually that started a a couple years back when I was still in Montreal, my mom would drive me around the city and, um, I had little portfolios printed at like Kinko's or, or whatever. And I would like, traverse the city. I had my like ponytail with my scrunchie and be like, <laughs> have my little elevator pitch and hand out my portfolios. Um, somewhere in that time. So I'm sort of going back, going forth, but I think somewhere in those years, um, in between my undergrad and my master's, I did get into one gallery in Montreal on Crescent street, which you know, in my mind was like incredible. Cause that's where all the serious galleries were. Um, right. somebody gave me a shot and that was a huge moment for me because I was just so used to hearing no, and I was so okay with it. Um, and I was just so surprised when someone said yes. Um, right. and I think I just had developed this attitude, which I still have now that, you know, it's okay to hear no 8 billion times. If you hear like three yeses, I don't really need more than three yeses. I don't really mind hearing no from people. That's totally okay. And I'd rather find the perfect fit anyway. And you do develop calluses when you do that. Um, it was just a great experience and kudos to my mom for (laughs) driving me around the city So I got into this gallery and I sold a couple paintings and that gave me, I think my, one of my first tastes of a really professional art selling experience and, you know, doing it through the gallery system. Um, Because there are so many ways to, to build a career in the arts. And I wasn't sure which, which way I wanted to go. And um, I think it's really important to try them all. Um, 
So after I finished my master's at Western, I, what happened then? I'm <laughs> just retracing my steps. Basically, I was then out there in the world. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do another master's program. I think I was just addicted to the schooling experience. It's safe. Um, right. I actually applied to the Sotheby's um, to do another master's of art history um, at Sotheby's in New York. Um, I <laughs> There's more of a focus on modern art there. And um, admittedly, I made it through all the phases and I went to go do my interview there. And um, I just bombed it in terms of in the interview, they um, they quiz you on, you know, on modern artists and paintings. They, they make you go through slides and I just didn't know anything. Really? Yeah. Um, I guess I should have expected it, but I didn't. And I didn't know any of the art because my focus had been on medieval art and architecture. Um, so I decided to just be like, yeah, you know what? Like, rather than going through this, let me tell you now that like, I'm going to get zero on your quiz. I'm not doing well. I'm not yeah. going to do well. Um, but that's why I'm here because I want to learn. Like, I'm not here to impress you with my knowledge. I, I don't know any of this. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm quick and I'm smart and I want to learn. And, um, this is my experience. Um, and then I sort of started interviewing them a little bit about like, what, what will your program give me? Because like, I, I really, really, um, I'm in it to win it in the arts. Like I just, I want to have a very fulfilling experience. Um, right. And I, I got in with, which was kind of funny and shocking. That's but I, awesome. I decided then to forego that experience and just jump into the art world out of school. Um, you know, actually in before I fully jumped in, I did get a job at a design firm, um, which was very short lived. Um, sorry, I'm bouncing around so much, but there are lots of parts. I got a job at a design firm and my job was to place art into luxury homes, luxury hotels. And that was a really interesting foray into the work world um, and how to apply art in a totally different way. But I then quickly learned that I just had to be in the art world by myself as an artist. And that's when I jumped in um, without any cushion, without, you know, without a job, without schooling. Like I was just out there to make art and I now had rent to pay. And I, right. I honestly blacked out in fear and just made a million paintings. Um, it was really a different side of the art world for me because it had to, I had to explore the practical side of being an artist and it wasn't right. just theory anymore. Um, and I had talked about being an artist, you know, in theory for years and years in school and there's so much they don't tell you and, you know, making money matters because you have to live somewhere. Um, right. And it was all on me. And I just had to see what worked and it was a real balancing act between making art that, you know, moved me and was meaningful to me and that, you know, was important for the world, but also art that would like make money so that I could live. Those right. two things don't always line up and there's a lot of experimenting and you win some, you lose some. 
Um, so, you know, I think I, I really found my voice, um, through that trial and error. I think I, you know, some art I would take too seriously and I would get blocked and I was like, okay, well, I, I love these paintings, but I, I can't keep making them. It's too heavy. It's too much. Um, they were like two, I started a series called two solitudes about like old men sitting in parks, um, or like strangers sitting on park benches that don't know each other. It was very, um, cerebral. And I was something I was interested in, but I, I just couldn't pursue it in a big way. And I would make like five paintings and then get really blocked. And I was like, you know, I don't have time for this because I do have to pay bills. And I'm also very creatively frustrated with the series as much as it's important to me. And then my, my boyfriend now husband, um, was like, why don't you just paint food on like white backgrounds? Cause I was a huge foodie. Um, I was very passionate about the subject. It was totally something in the other direction that didn't require as much heavy thought. You know, I could paint endless subject matter without getting blocked. Um, he was like, just do it as a creative release. Like, don't, don't think too much about it. Like this doesn't have to be your next, you know, move, but just, why don't you just do it for fun? So I thought that was great. I painted, I think my first thing was a chocolate bar um, just on a white background. And then I did some, um, fortune cookies, just like whatever I could find around the house. It was very cheeky. And I found that I loved doing it. It allowed me to explore the technical aspects of my, um, of hyperrealism, which is what my right. family is like, so rooted in. Um, like my, my mom paints hyper-realistically and there's a long tradition of it in my family. So it allowed me to just like sort of ditch the very heavy, um, you know, the very heavy, uh, meaning behind the work and, you know, the cerebral aspect of my other, the other series that I, that I was working on and just focus on the, um, the technical, aspect. And then also it was so lighthearted and people would have such a a wonderful reaction to these pieces um, because they were so drawn to them, you know, from their own experience, whether it's like, you know, somebody's favorite chocolate bar from their youth, or I I found that there was just inherently this nostalgic um, element to the work that I hadn't, you know, planned for. And then I thought, well, I could get really edgy with this. Um, and I painted this huge burnt piece of toast, um, that I, you know, I just was like, what's something that is not usually looked at, not usually celebrated, like totally mainstream, but something that everyone can relate to. And I just did it for fun. And I feel like that's the piece that kind of like made my work take off this way that it has now. Um, And then I decided to just paint things that made me and made other people feel so excited and, but with a little bit of edge. Um, Yeah. So I started painting more and more of that stuff. At that point I was showing through galleries in Toronto 
<laughs> Somewhere in here, I moved to Toronto. I forgot. To that. <laughs> um, I was living in Toronto at this point, showing through galleries. Um, and, you know, I found that I was able to build like a pretty steady career as steady as an artist could, could get. Um, but my, my career kind of took off and I was learning about the gallery side of, of things. And, and, you know, I was doing trade shows and I think that's another way that people build their art career. So I was just exploring all of these ways to do it and seeing, you know, what made me happy, what made me money, (laughs) what made me, I, I feel like you're, you know, it's so taboo to talk about that side of it, but it's, it's real. Um, and it needs to be looked at. And, um, and, and often I think it's not a bad thing because it really, you know, it, it motivated me to make good art that would speak to people. I think like, um, it's not just about making money, but it's like, the money comes from people being interested in your art and buying your art. And if you're not making good art, no one's going to do that. And you're not going to be able to support yourself. So um, I think it's really important to talk about it. And then after I sort of explored the gallery trade show side of the business, I started focusing more on my website and um, and Instagram because those things were becoming more prevalent. And I was even late to the party um, where those things were concerned, but I was determined to learn. And I would really look at other artists I admired and just other pages I admired and how they were promoting themselves on social media. And I decided to try and build an Instagram following. And it, it, it really... It took off, but it wasn't an overnight thing. It it and it wasn't by accident. It really involved a lot of deliberate hard work and learning and trial and error and feeling right. many, many, many times. <laughs> as I had in all of my other pursuits. Tons of failure, tons of no. I just don't take failure um too too seriously. Like I I love that, yeah. Um I'm good with it. <laughs> um, I'm emotional about it and it, it sucks, but I think, you know, it's all, it's all part of it. And if you want to grow, you've got to get good with failure. Absolutely. Uh, so me and failure are like right there together. Um, <laughs> but without failure, there's no success. Um, and none of this is, is a straight line. And it's also not, um, you know, you can't always be going up and up and up. Sometimes you have to, you know, take steps backward and pivot and find like a totally other way. Um, but during, um, during COVID, I think that's where, that's what really launched me, um, into the career that I have now. Um, you know, galleries shut down and everything changed in people's, you know, the way that, so many things about it. I think the way people were spending their money, the way people right. were looking at their homes, changed so much. Um, we were all stuck at home and right. our homes became our, our everything. It was like, you know, our office, our friend's house, our out, like everywhere we went was now like in our own space and people were obsessed with their homes and they were also glued to their phones. And I really took 
that opportunity to explore social media. And I sort of almost exclusively moved my business um, online. Um, and it was really interesting because I could devote so much more of my time to the actual creation of the work, just even like traveling around before just the little things that occupied your day could now be spent like in the studio making stuff. Um, and, and as a result, I was able to make like cooler things and just like, you know, spend my time and energy on, on creating and also communicating with my audience. Um, and that's where I am now. I think, I think it's always evolving. Um, I think, you know, I try and soak up the soak up, you know, every single, um, iteration of the career, because I think it's always changing and I don't take that for granted. And being an artist, you know, you're never really just like solidly in one place and you never kind of, if you are an artist, you probably don't want to be either as much as stability is awesome. Um, you also like the adventure of it. So, you know, that's where I am now, but I'm always thinking about the future and what's the future of my career look like and how can I like pivot a little bit. So, you know, when social media pivots, I can be ready. Um, of course. and just balancing all of that with actually like being an artist and getting inspired and, and making stuff. I love everything about that journey and kind of where you've netted out and, and then kind of the story that you just walked me through, particularly the amount of support that you had from family early on. And it's so very clear where the influence comes from with one half of your kind of family being entrepreneurial, the other being a longstanding kind of history of, of art. That obviously just converges so beautifully now with you taking art on as a full-time profession and really pursuing it as a career because I think that it is very much an entrepreneurial pursuit, right? One where you're creating, you're selling yourself, your work, your vision, uh, your talent, which I think is very cool. And, and I'm almost envious of, of that kind of support to pursue the art just because I was always a little bit artistically inclined as a kid, but you know, typical immigrant upbringing where I had to translate that to something tangible. So if I liked art and sketching and drawing and modeling that for my parents was like, well, maybe you apply that to something like architecture, right? <laughs> and, and, where, or, or something else where, where that immediately translates to like an acceptable profession, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, it's funny to, to laugh at that now, but it, it certainly shaped my perspective well, of art. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. Cause I think I grew up in a similar way. Um, my, I mean, my parents weren't immigrants, but they, their parents were immigrants. So I think um, they were brought up in that way. And my whole family is, everyone is a doctor. Um, actually, <laughs> I have one brother, I have three brothers, but one brother who's a lawyer. Um, we joke right. in like the black sheep. Um, but, you know, I think they, they had that intensity for sure. Um, yeah. it just, I received support, but the support I got was like, um, yeah, yeah, go be an artist. But but you have to be amazing at it and you have to be the best and you have to succeed. It was like, okay, no pressure. 
But I absolutely love that because it just, it immediately uh, gears your entire mindset towards excellence, right? Which I think is important because it, 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 for example, instead of uh, putting, you know, a ceiling on what your, on what your potential is as an artist, it is saying that if you're going to go do this, be the absolute best at it, right? Which I, I think is an awesome mindset to adopt. But what I really like about kind of your approach and, and the way that your story kind of took shape is the fact that you started to attempt at a pretty early age, um, you know, entering galleries, you said at 17, 18, right? Traveling around, trying to find and then across your university years as well um, to get your work into galleries and building up those calluses and that toughness against being declined, right? Mm-hmm. And then that once you actually make the transition, all those repetitions, uh, you know, post your, your educational experience that probably gave you a huge leg up as you were taking the the steps towards taking this on full time, because you've been through that rejection process already. This wasn't new to you, right? So I have to imagine that that was a huge benefit that you carried with you into actually embarking on doing this full time. I think it was huge. I think teaching kids and teaching everyone how to fail gracefully is yeah. an extremely important lesson and one that I hope I can, you know, teach my kids, how, you know, and how to balance your heartbreak with just like picking yourself up and moving on and not being too precious about um, moments in your life. Like you're never yeah. going to grow properly and you're never going to advance if you don't fail many, many times and learn how to process that and deal with it. And I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that I was like, Oh, I failed. Like no problem. Just right. do like, I, I was upset. I'm a crier. Um, I have a lot of, emo- I have a, a rich emotional life. I like to say, yeah. <laughs> um, so do my kids. Um, some of them. So I, I have four kids. They're all different and you know, I'm still navigating. They're little, so I'm just still navigating how to teach them. Of course. Um, but I think, you know, coping with your emotions and, but not being afraid to have emotions um, and not being afraid to fail is a huge, huge part of finding success in, in whatever you do. Um, so I think, you know, instead of just giving people a roadmap um, to very obvious professions or avenues of success, I think, yeah. you know, you can help you know, in theory, you could help your kid find, um, even greater success by like starting at the very, very basics and teaching how to, you know, how to go into hard situations and handle failure and how, and also how to handle success. Cause I think, um, even when I would have a, a successful positive moment, I think it's also really important to learn not to just like linger there. Um, yeah. because then you can get too comfortable and, you know, too cocky or whatever. And, you know, and growth stops. So For sure. you know, I think like finding that balance between savoring your successes, but also savoring your failures and learning how to, you know, how to balance those both and, um, and grow and learn and all of that. It's, it's hard. Absolutely. No, and what I love about that, I've, I've always kind of um, really enjoyed the saying of if what you 
if, if what you did yesterday still seems good today, then you haven't done enough today. Right. <laughs> and that I think embodies a little bit of the ethos around getting comfortable so with the bad. success and allowing that to slow your growth. I completely agree with that. And I, I love kind of this, um, the idea of how you instill that in your, in your children and, and, for myself, I also have two young kids and with my older daughter, you know, she's turning four very soon, but you know, for example, it's something as simple as a race. We'll run, she wants to race and then I will run faster than her and she'll, she'll get upset. So there is a competitive spirit there. She doesn't want to be losing, but her reaction right now is daddy, you have to slow down. Right. And I said, well, no. And she's like, well, but we'll both win. I said, oh, there can only be one winner in this <laughs> I race. I that too. And yeah. Yeah. And, and then my reaction is like, you have to get faster and run yeah. faster. Right. <laughs> and that's how you'll win. Yeah. It's, it's really funny because that quote you said was like, you know, the, it was like the theme of my upbringing. The, the Roth's yeah. way is very like, you know, push yourself and achieve, achieve and um, always be learning. And um, it's intense. It's in, And I think, it's interesting because my husband is like the total opposite, um, but we complement each other very well. And right. I feel like I, you know, right when I met him, I, I just felt like there was just a need for his energy in my life. He's very calm. He had a very different upbringing. He still achieved and he still has a beautiful life, but he just went about it in such a different way. So I think right, right, right. You know, he's like, we're attracted to each other's energy that way, but now that we're raising kids together, it's really interesting because I was just playing chess with my son and I was like trying my hardest. They're very smart. So I just think they can handle it. Um, yeah. and you know, same exactly like with what you said, you know, I, I was beating him and he got upset and he's like, let's start over. And I was like, no, we will like, you just need to think more strategically. And you know, and then my husband's like, can you, can you chill? Like, let's, (laughs) like, we still need to make sure he like loves the game, you know? And I think, whereas I'm, I'm already like, oh my God, let's buy you books about um, chess opening. Right, right, right. I'm thinking of like, um, you know, anyway, I'm like 20 steps ahead, but then I think there's also, it's really important to just like relax and enjoy and calm down Um, and I think like, especially in my coming of age, um, and it's something I work at every day, I think, you know, there's something really powerful in like being, you know, less reactive and just calmer. I think I can harness my, you know, Rothstein intensity in an even better way if it is tempered with this like really calm energy. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, you know, I think, I think it makes a ton of sense and even circling back to the idea of, of being comfortable with failure and, and instilling that early on or having that instilled early on translating to success for you down the line. You know, a lot of what you've described are very much like, you know, core values and growth principles for people in corporate organizations. So funny enough, you found success in, in, you know, in the art world as an entrepreneur and an artist. But, you know, I feel like just in the way you've described your mindset, you would have done very well in a corporate environment too. But, you know, I think... <laughs> Maybe. I- 
I, I have no doubts. I think what I, what I'm very interested now is, is just like, as you talked about your educational experience and even in our conversations leading up to the podcast, you talked about like this very, um, you know, old school mentality of like the poor struggling artist and staying pure to the art, mm-hmm. but that is totally counter to being able to live a life as an artist. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I wonder, you know, now, you know, with the success that you found, how were you able to kind of step aside or, you know, look outside of that mindset that was very actively pushed on you during school and and get comfortable with the idea that, no, that's not the way to be a successful artist, right? Not, and and have a normal, comfortable life as well. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I, I think I love proving people wrong. Um, I just have that sort of energy about myself. And from an early age, I think I was just very determined to make this happen. And my eye was on the prize. So every time someone would tell me, you know, that's not how it's done, or there is no, um, there is no career like this, or I've really heard it all. I've even been told that I need to change my name if I was going to find success. Yeah. Like wild and crazy things. Like I, I can't even think of all of them. I've just been, there have been so many like naysayers along the way. Um, And, you know, they're right in a way that there is no handbook and there maybe is no career like this that's mapped out. Sure. But like life, life is short and, and life is also long. It depends how you want to look at it. But, but I think the point being like, I don't take it too, too seriously. And I don't take myself too seriously. And if there's Mm -hmm. no career like this, then like all the more reason for me to try and make one. Um, like I'm a person in the world. Um, you know, I, I have two hands. I have, like, I, I just feel like if I want to do it and I can do it, like, why would I not just do it? (laughs) What's stopping me? Like, because you are saying no, like, but maybe you just haven't done it or haven't seen somebody do it. Like, I think I'm just, um, I'm imaginative and because I'm not afraid of failing or, or I should say, I am afraid of failing. I just don't mind. I don't mind going into that fear. I don't mind failing. Um, you know, I'm going to at least try and see where it goes. And I, and when I say I don't take it that seriously, um, I mean, I don't need to like map this out from start to finish. I think the way that I operate is usually just like, okay, well this week I'm going to do this. And this makes sense for me right now. And like, let's see where it goes. And that's not for a lack of preparedness, but it's, um, it more comes out of just following my intuition and, um, not straying from that. I think when you get into the world of planning um, your intuition that doesn't always line up with your intuition. And right. to me, like following my gut is really the most important. Um, and then making sure that I'm following my gut in a way that lines up with my, um, my plan for how I want to live my life. And when those things line up, I just, you know, I, I follow that path and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it, it usually works. I, I will say when <laughs> I follow my intuition, good things usually happen. Um, and then when I see that I've created something that people said w- wasn't possible, 
um, it sort of eggs me on to like do it again, do it better. Right. Um, so that is sort of what fuels me. Um, yeah, I've been told like, you have to change, you have to change your name. You have to, um, I remember I was getting business cards made when that was, when that was a thing. Um, and somebody said, Oh, instead of putting your name on them, you, you need to write atelier because that's, and it needs to be pink because that's like the vibe that you're giving off and you need to come off as like a boutique. Um, it was a whole thing. And I was so, um, I was like, Oh, okay. This person seems to know what they're talking about. Um, right. but then I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like that has nothing to do with like me or my vision or, um, like, I think it's really important to just like stop and really, really question the influences around you. Um, yeah. And in the end, I ended up making business cards with like my name, like really just big and plain and unstylized with like a big pickle on the back, like my pickle <laughs> painting. Just as kind of that like, is... can I swear? Just can I swear on your podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just like a fuck you, everyone. Like, like, fuck you convention. Like, here's my business card with a pickle on it. Like, what are you going to do about it? And I found the reaction was amazing. Like people, people like that. And it made people laugh. And like, what's better than making people laugh and forging a connection with them through a business card? Like nothing. Absolutely. I think what's, what's great about that is, is, is when you, when you net out at that F you mentality and you, and you activate it and it works and you've got the, the, you know, the humbling experience of, of failure underpinning that it just builds this level of confidence in your vision in kind of your creative uh, abilities going forward that I'm sure then translated to, you know, really bold, um, decisions that you, that you followed your instinct and got on after the fact. And, and I really do, uh, I, I really do resonate with that because I think that, you know, it's important to take that sort of similar mentality with your own growth. For example, if, you know, if you have mentors or if you have people inside of organizations and more traditional corporate settings, steering you in paths that don't feel right, or don't feel like they're in line with what your aspirations are down the line, you've got to have that same F you mentality and simply say, no, that's not the way that I'm going to go. I appreciate that, that guidance and kind of, I'm going to take it this way. And you'll have to live and die by that decision, right? Yeah. Which, which you're clearly thriving off of. But I, I think that's, that's a great mentality to, to take away from this conversation. Um, I want to pivot from there and talk a little about the fact, uh, the, the topic of kind of the series that you mentioned at first that you, you started with, with two solitudes and kind of that. Um, the, the paintings with two strangers and mm-hmm. parks on benches and how, um, how, how heavy that was. And, and firstly, I want to kind of get a sense of like the art industry as an artist. Is it important to do work in series, for example, uh, and in, in themes and stuff like that? Or is it okay to have, you know, a more eclectic collection or, or does it have to be yeah. curated? Because I mean, right now, if anyone was to go to any of your digital properties on Instagram or yeah. on your site, you clearly have a vision, a style, um, you know, taste and kind of buckets of categories of things that you engage with and paint mm-hmm. with and, and allow people to commission. But, you know, is it super critical to have a very focused identity as an artist or is it okay to be diverse and have different identities. And, and I guess, how did you land on, on 
making that decision to, I think you touched on it, but just going in a little deeper on how you landed on yours. It's a really, really great question and a really important topic, I think. Um, And before I say anything, I just want to issue the disclaimer that like, um, I am not any kind of authority on, you know, other people's (laughs) artistic journey. So like when I say it's okay or not okay, like, well, what do I know? Um, But in my experience, I was always told that I needed to have a very consistent body of work. And I was told this from, you know, an early age. I think as soon as I was interested in putting myself out there, everyone kind of said this to me. Um, And that's one instance where I actually think it was really good advice. And and it it was true. (laughs) Like, I don't think that as much as I'm all for, you know, not you know, putting people in boxes and exploring your creativity and all of that. I think that, um, generally there, it is important to have some kind of consistency when you're putting yourself out there. So people kind of understand what they're getting. So I'm not saying that somebody always has to do the same thing, but if you could find some kind of voice, um, with which to express yourself with a you know, a broad range. I think that that would be ideal. Um, so you have to figure out what that kind of means and and it's different for everyone. So when I was doing, I took it very literally at the beginning. So when I was doing this series two solitudes, I was like, okay, I'm going to paint, um, people sitting on benches in all sepia tones. Um, (laughs) And it was like, I love doing it and I love the paintings, but there are only so many paintings that you could make before you get bored and before, um, the meaning goes away. And frankly, even though they seemed, um, you know, heavily imbued with meaning and they were very contemplative, I think at a certain point that just becomes a shtick and, you know, you're not necessarily even growing. Um, and you're not having like a super deep experience with creating these pieces. You're just, you know, you're just, uh, it becomes a mask of sorts. And I was like, I'd rather create lighter pieces, but that give me, um, more of a range to explore and express myself. And like, even though those you know, are lighter on the surface. They actually like give me more room to breathe. Um, and they create a deeper experience for me as an artist. So I think it's like finding, um, something consistent so people can like at least latch onto you and understand what you're about. It's like, it's like anything. It's like, if you're if you befriend someone and then they always show up as an entirely different person, um, that would be really confusing, but you know, hopefully you want to befriend someone who is like solid in who they are, but has a lot of layers and has room to grow. Right, 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 right. So that is how I conceive of building a brand and a collection. And I think even within the the aesthetic that I found, there's like tons of room to move. But I think what I've um what I have latched onto is an an aesthetic that is about like crisp, clean lines where I can really center in on um, the technical aspect of painting, which is what I'm really, really passionate about. Um, And where I can explore like 
any subject matter and you know, it's my work. Um, right. But even, you know, that being said, I do have moments where I like, don't want to do that. Um, and I'll go off and make a few abstract paintings and my followers on Instagram know that I, I put those pieces out there as like creative exercises. Um, I was telling you, love phone, that. like sometimes I just like make, you know, I'll like decorate lamps or like, you know, I'll do just like one-off creative projects because that's still in me. Um, but I do think it's really important in the professional world to put yourself out there in a sort of relatively consistent way. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think the anyone who's listening, uh, yourself maybe even included, who's not a car person, eyes and ears are about to glaze over. But the, the thing that comes to mind is if you think of a brand like Porsche and a vehicle like the 911, that has largely been the same in ethos and underlying um, vision for for 70 years and incrementally has slowly evolved and changed to something that is radically different while maintaining consistent under that ethos. That's how I'm almost envisioning kind of your evolution of your art form, right? And, and this idea of hyper-realism and you stretching yourself from food to fashion, to sneakers, to watches, to X number of different categories and giving your, affording yourself that breath and evolving, but still staying true to the ultimate vision, right? Is that kind of how you weigh each new thing that you do that's consistent inside of that uh, identity? Is it to slowly and incrementally evolve? And eventually 10 years from now might turn into something different, but the path, the cookie crumb trail that gets you there will make total sense within your identity. Yeah. Well, thank you for that comparison. Like, um, I'll take it. I mean that (laughs) I, yeah, I think that's, that's right. Like, um, I'm coming at the art with the same energy all the time. And I right. am growing as a person. I want that growth to be experienced by whoever's experiencing my art. Um, I don't want to just, I think it's a huge mistake to like, you know, develop your brand and then get comfortable and be like, okay, this is, this is what people know me for. I'm just going to keep making the same thing. I don't want people to know me for a specific aesthetic. Um, but more deeply, like the, I want them to know me for the energy behind the aesthetic and the quality and the passion that's going into the work. Um, because that's, what's going to be the constant in my work so that, yeah, like maybe eventually, you know, I'll populate the backgrounds and they won't be white anymore, but my work will still be recognizable as mine. And then maybe I'll pivot here, pivot there. Um, but I think when you, are consistent with your energy and, um, with your quality. Um, I think, I think that's where you find long-term success. I always, I'm just thinking now, um, I'm like, do I bring it up? I think I will. Um, I I was thinking of game of Thrones, the way that, um, I always sort of think about it, how, um, sorry for anyone who's not into the show, but it doesn't really matter because the point is, I think at the beginning, they weren't too precious with their characters and they just like went for it. Um, I'm sure people will have things to say about this. So um, bear with me, but I think, you know, at, I, at the beginning, I was so like impressed with just how um, 
you know, it wasn't about the characters and it wasn't about anything specific in the show because they were just like, you know, murder like central characters. And I was like, oh my yeah. God, like I need, I need to keep watching because I so respect the way the show is being made. They're just so not precious about themselves and they're not taking themselves seriously and they're not pandering and they're just like going for it. And there is an art in that and I respect it. And I know whatever they do next is going to be of the same quality and that right. to me is like the the brand that they're establishing um whereas you know i think as the show progressed there were some yeah, moments right. where it's like um it, you know ed sheeran appears there's you know who i love but there there are some moments in the show where you're just like whoa like now i feel like they're trying to give me what i expect from the show and they're becoming like a, a cartoon of themselves in a way and they're I'm starting to like pander and I, I'm not, and now I'm not interested. Like I'm not here to look in a mirror and I, and you know, I don't want to see necessarily like my, what my own expectations in this show. I, I'm here because I so respect what they're doing and I want to see what they do next. So I think the minute I start getting too comfortable with my brand and playing off my brand and putting stuff out there, because it's on brand, um, yeah. pandering is like, um, you know, alarms go off for me and I try and like pivot to something else. I think the minute you start pandering to your audience because of your brand is dangerous, but I think if you keep on respecting yourself and your growth, then like you will be doing your brand a service. So anyway, I digress, but no, I love that, though. And I agree with you. I think what made the Game of Thrones so magical early on is that rather than meeting expectations, it subverted your expectations. Right. And and there was that shock and awe that, you know, you hope for moment to moment. Now, you know, me as a frustrated fan, I, <laughs> I feel like we'll never know because these books will never get finished and we'll have no idea how the story actually played out in the books versus the show and who did it right or who did it better. Yeah. You know, I'm eternally frustrated at that. And that's just the, the ranting of an angry fan. But that aside, I, I think that makes complete sense. This idea of not allowing yourself to fall in love with the praise and the expectations of your of your audience and instead actually leading them from one innovation to the next in your art form and having them waiting to see how you break new ground or how you evolve. I think that is certainly a much more exciting following to build yeah. that probably will have more longevity and dedicated kind of commitment to 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 your as a follower than than someone who you know th that you simply start to panic to which i think is really a really cool uh way to pivot then to my next question which is centering around the idea of commissions and that whole world of the art space because obviously you're producing work that um, that you want to produce, but in parallel to that, you're approached with people who are going to pay you to, to paint something that they want. And what's your process around managing that and making sure that, you know, you can strike a balance with making a very good living, right? And for people who are willing to pay for these paintings, kind of accepting the, the commissions, but not stepping outside of your vision and your creative kind of direction. Yeah. Um, another fantastic question. I, I think the answer is that, well, first of all, I say no a lot, um, to commissions and, yeah. um, I'm sort of at the point now where I think the best way to do it is, um, I've set up a system where when I'm taking commissions, um, I release, um, 
openings. And, you know, there's a whole application process now where people submit their ideas. And I want to know where, where are these images coming from? Where are these ideas coming from? Who's behind them? What's the vibe of the, uh, of the client? Like, I just, I want a well-rounded picture of what this piece is and what it means to them and what it means to me. And, um, you know, sending me support images and, and all of it so that I can look through the requests and pick pieces that, um, resonate with me, but like strongly resonate with them. And that will resonate with other people. Um, because for me, like I I love sharing my work and, you know, I, I like to take on commissions that I can use to inspire like a large group of people. Um, so I think it really, it really depends, but I'm very, very picky with, what I take on and I don't say yes to anything that I wouldn't otherwise paint for myself. Um, but that being said, I also think that, um, it's really important for me to take on commissions because I get to work with other people and, you know, I'm only one person. I only have so many ideas and not that I'm bored of myself, but you know, it takes a village truly, like even creatively, it takes a village and, lots of the pieces that I come up with are because of other people. Lots of the pieces I put out there, um, are commissions, um, that I'm now able to share with so many people. And they're like, Oh, how do you come up with these things? It's like, well, I didn't like somebody else did. And it was an awesome idea. And I'm just like, so open to what other people think. And I like building these relationships with my, um, with my buyers and with my followers. And I'm always asking for, you know, creative input. Um, that being said, you know, it's a, there is a line between it being collaborative and, and not. So I usually ask for the ideas, but then I sort of run with it. Um, because I do, I like to have the freedom to make changes as needed. And, um, also just technically, I don't view it as a collaboration. So, um, when people are like, Oh, can you shade this, this way? Like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think the ideal person, um, the ideal candidate for, for a commission piece is someone who just like loves my art and trusts me generally and vibes with me, but then lets me take their idea and run with it. Um, so, um, to all the people that don't sort of fit that, um, description, I, I say no. And, you know, and, and there's some upset and some back and forth and that's okay. Um, I think like it's really, really important for me to take on work that excites me and that, and that's going to make me grow. Cause when I'm growing and I'm excited, that's when I know, uh, my followers will be also. For sure. No, I, 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 I think what's really cool about that is, you know, you talked about the fact when you transitioned away from your in one of your initial series, the two solitudes, um, to this hyper realism, right? Were you able to really focus in and on what you're passionate about, which is the deep technical ability, right? I think that shift is particularly strategic because it also frees you creatively to be open to inspiration, 
right? Where you're not too precious about the inspiration, right? And being able to, to take ideas from folks because you know that like your identity is rooted in the technical ability to bring it to life, right? Which I think is very cool around the hyper-realistic um, uh, art style. And, and one that I personally very much appreciate with, and, and I was floored, and my jaw drops with every scroll on Instagram on your page, you. um, just as somebody whose you know, own aspirations in art were always to replicate real things as close to uh, real as possible. And it's just, it's just incredible to look at. Um, but then pivoting from there, you talk a lot about your followers. You talked about kind of the social presence that you built and how people, you know, were obviously glued to their phones across the pandemic. And that kind of changed your approach to being featured more digitally than in art galleries. Um, maybe talk about a, a little bit about the fact that, or about your approach to curating your social audience, because what really happened here is in, on top of being, you know, a business person scaling an art business on top of being an artist, you now have to become essentially a social media expert and a digital expert in how you curated this page, your community, how you engage with it. Like this is, people get paid money to do that yeah. for brands. And here you are having to learn how to do it on the fly for yourself, you know, at the expense of your own success. So, so how did, how did you get comfortable with that? And where did you learn to, and, or what was your approach to learning how to be successful in that space? Well, it's really hard and I'm still figuring it out. Um, but I think the figuring out itness of it is what yeah. makes it exciting. Um, people like seeing people figure things out. So yeah. I decided to just be human and not be, uh, you know, instead of putting out a perfect product, which is not what is needed anyway, just like kind of learn it in real time and see what sticks. Um, so I think, you know, it was a combination of like following other people and asking for help and just experimenting. Um, I think I sort of took things to another level when I decided to just be kind of like quick and dirty about it. And instead of like overthinking each post and, putting it on the computer and editing it and all this, um, I decided to just address like other parts of my life and see if people would be interested. Um, somebody, somebody on my team was like, uh, why don't you show us your closet? Like, I want to see what's in your closet. I was like, Oh, you do. <laughs> it's not, it's not that impressive, but like, um, I think, you know, we all have this natural curiosity, um, about people and you know who doesn't love like a sneak peek into someone's life yeah um and i forced myself to just get really comfortable with that and just doing it on the fly because i don't have time to like um i don't have time or energy um or the interest frankly in like sitting and thinking that much about social media so i just was like okay well you know, if I post a story here or a story there and I just literally, I Googled how to do it. Um, or I would like text my friends being like, how do I post a story? Like, like, like my mom does, like, how do I send a text? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not afraid to ask embarrassing questions. And I love that. I just Google really basic things and learn them. And I, I also, I really like demystifying things for myself. So like, um, I was always really interested in drummers and like I would always kind of like zero in on like the drummer in a band like I just the drums were really interesting for me and then I was like well I'm just gonna learn the drums because it's like I just like um the idea of like demystifying things and learning how to do them um I think right. almost anything can be just like learned and done um 
and not even done well, just like done. So that's where social media sort of comes to play for me. Like I saw people doing it. I was like, well, I could probably do this. I'm not going to be the best, but that's okay. I'm just going to figure out what they're doing and I'm going to try and do it also. And then when I, you know, when I keep doing it, I'm going to learn what my voice is and then hopefully it will like take flight. Um, so I think that's where I'm at on social media. I, I've had people, you know, it's an art form. It's almost an, it's an art in the same way as, Absolutely. you know, and people are like, Oh, is it you? Is it you managing it? Like, yes, because I feel like it's my voice and I treat it with the same, yeah. you know, artistic integrity as, as I do any of my work. And, um, I think that it's, it's a learning process for sure. Um, but I think, I think people really enjoy like, like seeing it in real time. And I'm right now trying to learn TikTok, <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, like, you know, I was late to the party there, but that's okay. Um, I approached it the same way I approached, you know, Instagram or Facebook or anything like, um, I'm working with a 15 year old who is showing me the ropes, <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, like, what if we do this? Is this cool? And she's like, no. <laughs> Like, um, but I think, I honestly think if you're passionate enough about something and if you just like keep trying and you keep learning, you can do anything. So, I mean, we'll see, follow me on TikTok. For sure. That's (laughs) awesome. I get any followers. Um, Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I think your unabashed willingness to, to ask questions and, you know, understanding that there's no shame in that. And in fact, there'd be more shame in, in not learning, right? I think is very cool. And, and it should be the type of ma- mindset that anyone takes in, in trying to fill their knowledge gaps and their skill gaps, because um, you'll be better for it. I, I think that's super transferable to any industry or any profession. Um, but what's funny is that, you know, as you're starting to figure out and get comfortable with one digital frontier in social media, here comes and explodes this new digital frontier with the metaverse and NFTs. And, and I guess I'm very curious, like, have you as an artist started to explore potential, you know, veering into that space or what a project in that space might look like for you? Because it it seems like there's untapped potential there, particularly for someone with such a curated focused art style as yourself. Yeah. Um, I am exploring NFTs. I'm waiting for the right, uh, you know, not opportunity, but I, I guess I'm waiting for the right a collision of of everything right to happen. I, I'm I'm looking yeah. for the right NFT, the right message, the right audience. Um, I have some ideas. I've done a lot of exploration, um, but I just want to do it properly in a way that um, best represents me. And when I say do it properly, I'm also, you know it's a, it's finding a balance of like not being precious about it and not making it too perfect. But I know I also don't like to go the entirely other way. I don't, I don't want to just like throw anything out there. I want to be thoughtful about it before I, yeah. um, before I make it, it's a little bit different than a painting. Um, or, you know, like I know so little about it. I feel like I need to like find my footing first before I start experimenting. That being said, I'm sure right. the first thing I do will be, you know, total, well, who knows? Maybe it'll be amazing. Maybe it will flop. Um, 
But I think before I put anything out there, I still need to learn a little bit more. So um, that's where I'm at. I think all of these social platforms and all of these um, art forms require a different voice and they all come with their own vibe. Um, And it's really important for me to learn who is listening before I just like start talking. Um, Like I don't, even with my art, like why would I start saying something if I don't even know who's on the other end? Like I want to say something important that's going to resonate. And that goes for every platform. So um, whether it's, you know, I feel like on Instagram, there's a certain voice um, that's required. And I'm very comfortable on Instagram and I know exactly who's listening and I know how to talk to them on TikTok. <laughs> I'm, I'm figuring it out. I'm not quite sure who's listening. Um, yeah. I don't totally know what I want to say. I, I have a painting of uh, tequila and, um, you know, friends are telling me like, Oh, you should, get a bunch of limes and like throw them at the canvas and then have the limes turn into the, you know, tequila. It was just, it's just such a different. And I was like, Oh, people like that. And they're like, yeah. And it has to be 10 seconds or else they won't like it. Right. 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 It's so, and then I, I said to, um, I was asking, you know, (laughs) my, my 15 year old friend that I'm working with, I was like, Oh, this is our, our discord is, is it, it's so funny. Like, do you think we should film us chatting and put it out there about like, you know, you teaching me TikTok? Yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> so, but on Instagram, that would be super funny. Um, right. Exactly. And then I think for my NFT, I'm exploring um, discord and how to manage that, um, which requires a different voice entirely. And so, right. Um, I am Googling and learning and speaking with people. And then I also need to make sure that it's a right, you know, the right fit for me as a person, because I need to enjoy it. Um, if I'm not enjoying it, nobody else is going to enjoy it. Um, and just not forgetting that like that, that matters. Um, even though I can learn about the right voice on TikTok or on discord or whatever, um, is it something that like I want to do and that should be put out there in the universe? Because maybe it's not. So, um, you know, learning and then really taking a, a beat and thinking about like why I'm doing it. Um, cause yeah. I think when I do things with, um, when I do things on purpose with intention, that is when things excel. But if I'm just doing things to run a business. I, I don't think anyone has ever found success that way. I love that. I think that's such a great sentiment, you know, kind of to, to bring the conversation to a close. Just, you know, as I kind of summarize your approach to learning, I think your your willingness to be comfortable with failure, but using it as a force to drive you forwards, right? Dealing with rejection, uh, staying true to your kind of artistic vision and and being willing to buck the trend and treat it like a business and, and treat that the business aspect is almost as an art form as well. I think on top of your actual 
incredible artistic skill set is really inspiring. I, I have hugely enjoyed this conversation and I think listeners are going to walk away with an enormous amount of learning to apply to, to any career in any industry. Um, and I, I really look forward to seeing how your work continues to evolve and maybe one day I'll be in a position to commission a painting from yourself, and, which would be an amazing full circle event. But yeah. uh, I look forward to chatting again in the future and, and thank you again for your time. This was a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed this and I, I hope we can chat again.